Greetings, and welcome to the Gospel Expedition, where we explore the Gospel from Genesis to Revelation. The Gospel is how Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. It is through the death of Jesus Christ that we have been forgiven for our sins, because it is through His death that the price for sin was paid, that the debt was settled and that God's judgment was satisfied so that we do not stand before God condemned, but we stand before him having declared that our debt has been forgiven. It is through the death of Jesus Christ that we have forgiveness of sins. It is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have eternal life because it is through the resurrection that Jesus Christ conquered death. It is through the resurrection that Christ rose again to be at the right hand of the throne of God where he ever lives to make intercession for us. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that he is able to save those to the utmost who come unto God by him, seeing how he ever lives to make intercession for us. So it's through the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins according to the scriptures, that we have that assurance of that salvation that our sins have been paid for, and that we know him as Savior. Therefore, we will live in his kingdom eternally, forever, in peace and prosperity in his presence. All scripture discusses this. All scripture sets up this concept, illustrates this concept, explains this concept, foretells this concept, or shows us how Jesus fulfilled this concept. That's what the Bible is all about. As we continue our tour through the book of Genesis here on the Gospel Expedition, we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 is one of the more prominent explanations and illustrations of the Gospel that exist in all of the scriptures, save for the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it is one of the most pronounced illustrations and foreshadowings of the Gospel that you will find in the entire Old Testament. And it's kind of a disturbing story when you think about it. So in Genesis chapter 22, we have Abraham. Abraham has been promised a son by God. The promised son being Isaac. Isaac meaning laughter because God turns our sorrow into laughter. And so God speaks to Abraham. Abraham has a son, Isaac. The promised son has been delivered. And Abraham has gone through a lot of grief to get to this point. In fact, things went bad with Hagar and Ishmael in a previous chapter, and Abraham had to send them away. And the Bible tells us that Abraham found that to be a grievous thing, that the thing was grievous in the sight of Abraham. He, he, he mourned the loss of Ishmael and the loss of Hagar, and it was a terrible thing that he went through. And it was a terrible thing for Hagar and it was a terrible thing for Ishmael as well. But as time progressed, you have Abraham. You have his son, Isaac. And this is a blessing. This is the promised son. We see God's deliverance and we see a path forward with the Lord here. But in Genesis chapter 22, God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, to offer him up as a burnt offering. The one promise, the one blessing that Abraham had been looking for from the Lord, that the Lord had promised him all these years, God was about to take back. It's very heart-wrenching. Those of us reading this story in the 21st century may even find it disturbing. 
But God's going to do something here that is going to show the power of his gospel. It's also going to show his mercy. It's going to show his love. And it's really going to blow our minds. Because God is not going to allow Abraham to follow through on this. Rather, God is going to intervene and demonstrate to us the gospel. And so in Genesis chapter 22, God has called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And God calls Isaac, uh, Abraham calls Isaac and gets his men together. And we're going to go up into the mountains of Moriah. And there we're going to offer a burnt offering. We're going to worship the Lord there. And so Abraham is traveling with Isaac and his group of men that are helping him along until he sees the mountain that they're going to offer the burnt offering in the distance. And Abraham tells the men, he says, you guys wait here. The lad and I will go up there and we will worship and then we will return. And notice when you're reading in the scriptures, Abraham says, we will return. And so Abraham loads up the wood they're going to use for the burnt offering on Isaac and they're walking up to the mountain. Isaac is a pretty perceptive young fellow here. And by the way, he's about 15, 16 years old when this takes place. He's carrying the wood up to this mountain where they're going to offer a burnt offering. And here you get the idea that Abraham hasn't told Isaac the full plan. Abraham has not told Isaac exactly what God has called him to do because Isaac is looking at this and goes, Father, we have the wood and we have the fire, but where is the lamb for the offering? And Abraham says something profound to Isaac. He says, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. That's going to be important here in a few minutes. And so they get to the place where they're going to offer the sacrifice. Abraham sets up the altar. He binds Isaac to the altar. Isaac, by the way, I think he could have taken Abraham, so he's going along with this willingly. That's hard to fathom. And Abraham is about to conduct the sacrifice. When the angel of the Lord calls out to him and stops him and says, the Lord knows that you trust him, that you believe him, that you're faithful, that you're a man of God, because you would not withhold your only son from him. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the ram caught in the thicket. Abraham took the ram and offered the ram as a burnt offering instead of Isaac. And there are so many parallels to the gospel. Isaac has been spared. The sacrificial sacrifice, the sacrificial atonement, the substitutionary sacrifice had been offered in the form of a ram. And Abraham and Isaac return back to their party and they go back home. You see so many similarities, so many parallels between this instance in the scripture and the gospel. First of all, there's the concept of the ram or the lamb being offered in the place. The concept of sacrifice, and this was something that wasn't new to Abraham. They had done this. They had offered lambs and rams and animals for sacrifice before. It's not a new concept to Abraham because this is something that goes back to pretty close to the very beginning in the book of Genesis. We know that in Genesis chapter 3, man sinned against God. 
And having sinned against God, man was banished from the garden. Man needed a price to pay for his sin. And so God offered the blood of animals kind of as a credit payment toward the ultimate price that Jesus Christ would pay on the cross for our sins. The concept of the sacrifice was that when you went to sacrifice an animal, you had to take it upon yourself to offer that animal for your sins, which meant that you were involved in the entire process, which meant that you saw firsthand the price and the consequence and the death brought on upon your sin. This process got refined in the book of Exodus when God, in the book of Leviticus as well, when God gave the tabernacle form of worship. And in the tabernacle form of worship, like the temple form of worship, you would bring this sacrificial lamb into the courtyard of the temple. And you would tie this lamb to the horn of the altar. Now the altar, basically think of it as a square grate with coals burning underneath. And on each of the corners was a horn sticking off of that altar. And that's where you tie the lamb. You would tie the lamb to the horn of the altar. The horn of the altar represented the judgment of God. You would tie the lamb to the horn. And once the lamb was tied to the horn of the altar, and if you've ever been to a stock show where they're showing lambs, you can kind of picture this, how the lamb's head is elevated and he is standing at attention. You would then cut the throat of the lamb. You had to do it. The priest couldn't do it for you. You couldn't hire somebody to do this for it for you. You had to do this. So you're actually taking the life of the lamb to pay for your sins for another year. You are actually seeing firsthand up close the price of your sin. You then took the blood of the lamb and you sprinkled it over the horn of the altar, representing the blood of the lamb covering the judgment of God on your behalf. From that, po from that point, you would take the lamb and you would place the lamb on the altar where it was cooked. And depending on what type of sacrifice or what uh, occasion the sacrifice was being offered for, you, you would do several different things here. But part of the sacrificial process was the eating of the lamb. You would offer you would take of the meat of the lamb and you would eat it and the fat would be left upon the altar to burn. The fat being the Lord's portion. You're eating of the lamb in the presence of the Lord in the temple. But what this represented was a restoration of your fellowship with God. Y'all were dining together. And that's the concept of, this, of the animal sacrifice. And they really get into it in the book of Leviticus, you will see it quite a bit as we go through that book here in the coming months as we go through this on the Gospel Expedition. The concept of the sacrifice was to show God's atonement for sin. Abraham understood this, so he knew there was going to be more going on than what God had called him to do. And therefore, Abraham told Isaac that God would provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering and God did later on through Jesus Christ and in fact if you read the book of John in John chapter 1 John the Baptist comes out and addresses Jesus he says behold 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When John addressed Jesus as the Lamb of God, he wasn't, he wasn't just talking out of thin air and it wasn't a sweet little animal picture. What he was telling the people was, here is our sacrifice for our sins who will bring us eternal salvation and eternal forgiveness from God. Abraham told Isaac, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. And God did through Jesus Christ. Abraham was obedient to God to the point that God stopped the sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Abraham had immense faith in God, that Abraham so believed God that he knew God would keep his promise. And he knew God would have to raise Isaac up from the dead to keep his promise if he were to go through with it. And he knew God would because God keeps his promises. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that he was accounting that God was able to raise him up wherein he received him in a figure. So in Abraham's faith, his faith that God has promised me Isaac, God has called me to sacrifice Isaac, and so in order for God to keep his promise, he's going to have to raise Isaac from the dead. And so in that you see the resurrection. In Abraham's faith and his belief in his thought process, you see the gospel. And then we see that God provided a ram for the sacrifice. God did exactly what Abraham told Isaac he would do. He provided for himself a lamb for the sacrifice. That ram was substituted for Isaac on the altar, just as Christ was substituted for us on the cross. There is a lot of deep connections in theology concerning the gospel in this passage. And it's very difficult to address all the points of it and all the thoughts about it in this one podcast. So this may be something you may want to read about. And so do some, do some reading, do some research, do, uh, re- read the scriptures about it. Read some of the great theologians, uh, Matthew Henry, F.B. Meyer. If you can find some Charles Spurgeon stuff, that'd be good as well. But you have this amazing picture of the gospel in Genesis chapter 22. And it teaches us three things. The first thing it teaches us is to check our motivations. Why do we go to church? Why do we pray? Why do we sing hymns? Why do we worship God? What do we expect from God? Check our motivations. It also teaches us about faith. What it means to not only believe in God, but also to trust God. And we also learn about atonement. So let's check our motivations. For years, God promised Abraham a son, a seed, one who would keep the family line going and one through whose descendants this entire nation would grow. And through this entire nation, the Christ, the Messiah would come and would bring salvation and bless the families of the earth. God promised this to Abraham and Abraham wanted this. He wanted this promise. He wanted this promised son. And he went through a lot to to get it. He tried to adopt his servant as his son and make him the heir. But God said, that's not going to be the heir. That's not going to be the one I'm working through. He fathered a son with Hagar, which led to problems between he and Sarah. And it was Sarah's idea, by the way, if you missed that episode. Um, caused problems with he and Sarah, with Sarah and Hagar, and ultimately Hagar and Ishmael had to be sent away. And it broke Abraham's heart when that happened. Then you have the birth of Isaac. 
laughter. Sorrow has been turned into laughter. And Abraham finally saw the promise of God firsthand. And Abraham had Isaac with him. And Abraham saw him and saw the promise of God delivered after a long time coming. And so what Abraham is about to be faced with is going to test his true motivations. All this time that he walked with God and he trusted God, was he walking with God and trusting God just for the promise of a son? Or was he worshiping God and trusting God because he's God? God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And God was telling Abraham that the blessing he had waited for all these years was to be given up and given back to God. And so Abraham is now faced with a choice. He can choose God, follow God, trust God, obey God, continue to worship God. Or he can choose the son that God gave him, disobey God, reject God, and cling to his son. In making this choice, Abraham will reveal why he followed God in the first place. Was it for the blessing? Or did Abraham follow God because he was God and he trusted God? Abraham chose to obey God. And in doing so, he showed his true motivation. He followed God because he was God and Abraham trusted God. And that brings us to the question, why do we worship God? Are we in it for the blessings? Are we hoping that by worshiping God, by honoring God with our lips, by carrying forth his message, that God is going to bless us and that God is going to give us the desires of our hearts in this world? Hey, let's take it a step further. Are we worshiping God, honoring God, spreading his gospel, doing the work for the Lord, hoping that we'll get a bigger mansion in heaven? Are we working for the mansion? Are we working for heaven? Are we working to get to heaven? How do you tell? What's my motivation? How do I check my motivation here? Consider this. If God never granted you a request in your heart ever again, do you still love him? The things that you ask God for, some of which are, are probably noble and great things. If God never said yes, do you still love him? Let's do this. Suppose you went to heaven. And when you go to heaven, everything's there that the Bible said. Everything that we have preached about all these years is there. The streets of gold, the river of life, the golden mansion, the golden mansions. There's a hymn that says, I want a gold one that's silver lined. Suppose you get that mansion, everything, all the glories of heaven that have been promised over the years by preachers such as myself are there. And there you are on the golden streets of heaven walking to your golden mansion but God is not there. God is not in heaven. If that were the case, would you still be happy? Now we know that God is there. And the real blessing of heaven is that he's there. But if you went to heaven, if you died and went to heaven, all the golden streets, golden city, golden mansions, all the beauty and the glory was there and God was not, would you still be happy? What's your motivation? Why do you worship God? Second of all, we learn about faith. Faith is trusting God. It means believing that he exists 
and believing that he is the God of the Bible. Believing he is who he says he is. It also means believing his word and taking him at his word. Trusting him. Trusting what he says. And trusting him to do good. Abraham trusted God. Genesis 15, 6 says, He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God. God honored that. Abraham believed in God's redemption. That's why he said the Lord will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham believed in God's promise of a heritage through Isaac. That's why he fathered Isaac and was willing to offer him up. In Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham so trusted God that he believed that if God had him follow through on the sacrifice of Isaac, God would raise him up. This shows how much Abraham trusted God. If God promised it, Abraham trusted God to deliver it. Do we trust God? Do we trust that he exists? Do we trust his word? Do we trust his promises? Are we motivated by that trust? Are we motivated by our faith in him? And third, we learn about atonement. Abraham is called to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. When Abraham shows his faith in God, God provides a ram. And God offered, Abraham offered up the ram instead. Why? Because Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ died that death on our behalf so that we could be saved. That's Romans 5.8-10. through 10. The sacrificing of the animals in the Old Testament was a demonstration of this. When you sacrificed an animal in the Old Testament, you felt just how seriously God took sin. And you realize the cost of sin. Our sin created a debt. It resulted in a cost. Now that cost was paid by Jesus on the cross. And this should foster repentance and faith toward the Lord. It should cultivate gratitude toward the Lord. It should motivate us to be gracious toward others. Have you learned about atonement? In Genesis chapter 22... We see this amazing picture of the gospel. And we see how Abraham's faith in the gospel, in God, in the promises, motivated him to do something amazing here. Do we trust the Lord? Do we trust in the gospel? And does that motivate what we do? This is the Gospel Expedition. I'm Leland Acker.